time. Hey, uh, let's pray to God, and let's really ask God to, to move through this time in the Scriptures. We're going to get, get some time in the Word right here. And uh, so we'll talk about it a little bit in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel? You know, as they're speaking to the tribe homes. Oh, what did he wow. say? He says, speak the Word of the Lord to the tribe homes and let them live. And that's what really can happen to us as we get into what God is saying. And not what all the chatter out there is saying, but what God is saying can really lift our spirits and inspire our souls. Let's pray to God and ask Him to move among us. Father, we know it's such an honor and a privilege to open up the Scriptures and to see differently. Father, see with, with eyes of faith. Father, see with eyes of light and life and love. And God, we just pray that your Spirit would be so obvious among us, Father, as we, as we read the Scriptures. God, we would... We would feel you speaking to us as a community. We would feel you speaking to us personally. And, Father, that we would, we would feel a, a different sense of inspiration, Father, as we uh, leave this place, Father, because we've been with you, because we've been with one another in your spirit. Father, move powerfully through your word. We pray and thank you in the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. 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 The title of uh, my lesson this morning is Rise. It's kind of in the spirit of, of you know, next week when uh, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Rise. And in a moment, we're going to read these, these incredible words that Jesus spoke when he was facing the greatest challenge of his life. Maybe you can even say it's the greatest challenge ever faced in the history of, of mankind. Yeah. Jesus was facing this. And as he prayed and as he really worked through his own inspiration and his own, his own sense of mission in his time, he said at a certain point after his prayers, buoyed by God, in the power of the Spirit, he said, rise, let us go. Let us move forward. Let us face this challenge. Let's face this trial because God is with us and it's going to be awesome. And, you know, he had told them already about six or seven times, even recording the scriptures, what was going to happen in detail to the Messiah. That the Messiah was going to be persecuted, he was going to be, he was going to be mistreated, he was going to be tortured, but then he was, going to, he was going to die on a cross, but then he was going to rise from the dead. So these guys had sort of a notion of what was going on. But I'm, I, but I'm wondering, you know, I'm imagining how they felt as they were sleeping, and then suddenly they're awoken because there's oncoming centurions with, uh, with the betrayer. Mm-hmm. And how they felt and how they never forgot Jesus rising from this place of tears and his sweat being like drops of blood falling on the ground and saying, it's time to go. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Because God is with us and because we can do this with God. You know, Jesus did not let circumstances dictate his life or hold him down. He didn't let feelings, he didn't let suffering, he didn't let uh, people's opinions of him, he didn't let difficulty, even death, hold him down. I love it when one of his best friends, Peter, stands up to speak about Jesus in Acts chapter 2. What did he say? He said, it was impossible even for death to hold him back, to hold him down. That's my hero. That's my best friend. That's my big brother. Here's a quote from Henry David Thoreau that says, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. You know, Sue and I have lived a lot of places around the world, and I've found that to be true. 
Mm. And it's kind of a shame that uh, most of us kind of get ground down to that place where we're just trying to just try to kind of put one foot in front of the other. And it's true about most people, but it doesn't have to be true about people who follow Jesus. You know, in John chapter 1, it's incredible, it says in verse 3, it says, Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The darkness, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That's an interesting translation of that word, because what it's saying is the the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not conquered the light. And it reminds us, you know, that of that quote, you know, John F. Kennedy says, "Don't curse the darkness, light a candle." That's right. <clears throat> Instead, light a candle. It's so easy to be in this dark place and to, and to get into this lifestyle of cursing the darkness, mm-hmm. when really what's needed is that we take our light and we let it shine. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we light that light in the darkness. That's how Jesus was. The darkness didn't overcome him. You know, this word is nemi keta, nemi keta. We're going to look at it here just in just another context. But Nani Keita means to conquer, to prevail. So the darkness was not able to conquer Jesus. The darkness was not able to prevail over Jesus. The root of this word is Nike, which is the word Nike comes from. And Nike is, Nike is the, uh, the feminine goddess of victory. And so that's what that word means. It's the feminine noun for victory. So Jesus was using a feminine noun... Word, rooted word to say, hey, the darkness isn't going to overcome me. That's right. And then in John chapter 16, just do it. He says it again. <laughs> just do it, right? <laughs> Let's go. Let's be victorious. Let's lead victorious lives. Let's not be the victim here. And so Jesus says in, in verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's an incredible gift of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. That's right. But take heart. It says, be courageous. I have neni I have overcome the world. So Jesus would not let the darkness overcome him. What did he do? He overcame it. And that's our destiny. We'll take hold of it. That's, right. that's who we are as followers of Jesus. That we overcome the darkness. You know, how did Jesus do it? How did he live such a, a humble but yet powerful life? How did he live such a, an approachable but yet bright existence? How did he walk with God so closely and, and yet also walk with men and women with such love and compassion? How did he do it? Well, he walked with God and he knew God as the God of three things. Inspiration, celebration, and connection. I'd like to turn over to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. You guys out there? Yeah. Amen. Talking about some pretty cool stuff this morning. You know, it's always interesting to me because, you know, as you speak, as you hear, you know, motivational speakers, or even if you hear therapists that are good at what they do, or if you hear, you know, people who are speaking about topics like freedom or liberty and these kind of topics, you know, it's always interesting to me because if you go back to the scriptures, Jesus oftentimes said it first. Yeah. That's right. It's true. It comes from him. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from his 
helping us to understand how life was designed, how life really works. And so many of these concepts come from, from Jesus, who was the original possibility speaker, who was the original faith speaker. And he made all these kind of claims, and then he didn't just make the claims, he lived the claims, didn't he? And he showed us, yeah, he could be a kind of a normal guy from the neighborhood, and still live a, 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 an earth-shattering, powerful life. Or, you can just love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great way to frame the mission that we're a part of? Yeah. It's not necessarily something out there. It's not something something grand or epic. It's something very normal. It's something very accessible. It's not way up in the sky that we need to have someone go and get it for us. It's accessible to us. You know, really, the answer to world peace is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's the answer to all the different uh, challenges that we're facing in society. It's the answer to how leadership becomes uh, servant leadership and giving leadership. And it's all things that Jesus talked about first. But I digress. So going back to Genesis chapter 2. God is the God of inspiration. Of inspiration. You know, our, our lives go towards death, right? We're dying and dying and dying. The older and older we get, at least physically. Yeah. And so we try to, you know, we try to deal with that in certain ways, but our spirit doesn't have to be that way. Our spirit can become more and more alive. Right. Our, our spirit is, is eternal. And so in Christ, our spirit becomes even more and more alive. And so Jesus walked with this God, and he knew this God of inspiration. In Genesis chapter 2, and in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Mm. The definition of to inspire is to breathe life into. It comes from this verse. God didn't just make the, 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 the human in terms of flesh and bones. Mm-hmm. He made the human... And then he inspired the end. He inspired the end. Isn't that, isn't that cool? One time I had a, a best friend of mine die in my arms because of, because of heart failure. And I literally saw the life, this God-given thing, that you can't put in a bottle, you can't explain it, but I literally saw the life pass from his, his physical body and move on. And it was, it was profound. It was It was crazy. But guys, there's something in us that is God-given. Right. It's not because we go to the gym enough. It's not because we eat the right diet. It's because of God. And because of God being the God of inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, all through the Bible, God is breathing life into heroes. Mm-hmm. Ordinary people who are inspired. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us are called to do something significant with our lives. We're called to a mission. And that mission may simply be Monica loving Juniper. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a mission. That's a reason to live right there, isn't it? That's a reason to thrive because you're a mom. That's a reason to thrive because you're a friend. It's a reason to thrive, too, because you can say a word of kindness to the person next to you on the bus and change their life and change their day. But it comes from inspiration. It's really hard to give life if you don't have life in you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to give away something that you don't have. 
so what we see in Jesus is he went constantly back to the source of life to get life. So he would basically kind of go to God, plug in, and then he would go out on his, on, you know, to serve people, to love people, to give to people, but he would feel tapped. In fact, you know, the person says he felt the power go out from him. And we can feel that in our mission, can't we? Certainly as a parent, you can feel that. It's like, you're just being tapped, you're being tapped, you're being tapped. And so, you know, the power goes out from you. Well, where are we going to get the power, the life power, the life force, when it goes out to us? Well, what Jesus did is he went back to the source of life. He went back to the spring of life to find the living water. And so these ordinary people who were inspired became heroes. Heroes in their own story. Heroes to the people around us. You can think of people like Abraham who became the father of many nations. You think of people like Rahab and Joseph and Esther and Ruth and Mary. And then certainly Jesus. Look over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. You know, sometimes we can all get to that place where we feel pretty dried up, can't we? Mm -hmm. And we're not quite sure what to do oftentimes. Moisturize. And so, <laughs> so Steve, Steve loves to moisturize. And he wants to help the, the different brothers around him to, to moisturize effectively. So, you know, Jesus is kind of trying to help us to moisturize spiritually, maybe. Ezekiel 37, listen to this, you guys. The hand of the Lord was upon me, verse 1, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And that's oftentimes what we're wondering when we look at our own selves. Is that, wait a minute, can, can, can I overcome this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait a minute, is there any hope for me? Yeah. Wait a minute, I, I feel all these things happening. I do as I'm getting older. Can I still have that youthful innocence and joy about life? How about it? Can these bones live? And I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's going, ah, this, this, this was a little too big for me. God, you know. What do you think? In verse 4, he said, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Isn't it so easy to get so focused on other people's words? Kind of like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Samuel hearing God, somebody, someone calling him and thinking it was Eli when it was actually God. And by the time he figured it all, he said, he said Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So when we start to listen to the words of God, he starts to revive us. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He's referring to Genesis chapter 2, isn't he? Where does life come from? God. You know, I know in my own life, when I, when, I, when I don't pay attention and cultivate that relationship with God, I get weary. And it's not just a weariness of, of it's not like just a physical weariness, it's a spiritual soul weariness. And that's what Jesus speaks to in, in, in Matthew. He says, come to me all you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. You know, it's never too late to be revived. It's never too late. You can say, well, I've been through a lot of life. Well, that's okay. That's okay. And you've learned a lot, haven't you? You've learned a lot, and you've become more wise. And hopefully you've become more faithful because you understand sort of the lay of the land a little bit more. But you still need God. It's funny, the further we get along, even the wiser we become, hopefully our wisdom doesn't take us away from God. What, our, what wisdom does, it takes us closer to God. And it's not just about getting smarter. It's about understanding our place in the world. And understanding that life and inspiration comes from Him. About three months ago, uh, Tom Caswell, we were down in Worcester this past week, getting some time with uh, the Caswells and the Worcester Church. It was really fun. Really a great time. But uh, we were down there, and, and Tom told us this incredible story because he just gotten back from, uh, from Portland, Oregon. Because about three months ago, his dad, who's in this, uh, in this retirement home, who's 88 years old, uh, gave him a call and said, and said, hey, there's a woman here who's a friend of mine. She's 97 years old. And, uh, and she wants to learn the Bible. I taught her everything I know about the Bible, and it's pretty much one verse. <laughs> and so I thought of you guys. And I told her, hey, Tom and Cindy know the Bible really well. And, uh, and so can you guys study with her? And so on the phone every week, they would study the Bible. Tom and, and Cindy would study the Bible with his dad and this, uh, this, this woman friend of his. And what they would do is, they, it wasn't FaceTime, it wasn't Zoom, it was just the phone put it on speakerphone, put it there, and they just talk. So it wasn't high tech or anything. But they were studying the Bible, and sure enough, they got a call about a week ago that said, uh, they, they said, uh, hey, um, we really want to get baptized. Which is crazy. Just through their studies, we really want to get baptized. Guys, 88, 97. And, and so Tom goes, and they said, we want to get baptized, and we see everybody for the uh, family reunion in August. What do you think? And they're like, well, you know, seeing that you guys are 88 and 97, <laughs> we might want to do that sooner rather than later. And so sure enough, they flew out there wow. in Tom City and baptized his dad and his 97-year-old friend. And they had pictures and they just wow. smiling. That's awesome. Wow. 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 Incredible. You're never too old. That's right. You're never too old to come back to the God of inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, sure enough, guys, this weekend, we're going to be, this coming up weekend, we're going to be celebrating... The greatest story of inspiration, That's of dry bones coming to life that's ever been told. It's the story of the resurrection of a human by the power of God. And it's a story that, guys, it's true. It's not just a fable. It's, it's true. It's changed lives because of its truth. And Jesus promises to all of us, yes, these bones can live. Jesus walked with and knew the God of inspiration. He also walked with and knew the God of celebration. Of celebration. Look over in Luke chapter 15. You know, in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it was really kind of cool because seven times a year, there would be these massive feasts. These massive festivals. Now, I don't know about you, but, but in our family, we have, you know, we celebrate the holidays, usually. But we usually kind of choose one or two that are really kind of special to us. So the Jewish people had seven. That they would drop everything, pretty much, and they would come together. And they would sing, and they would pray, and they would talk about God, and they would feast. 
And it wasn't just kind of small feast, hey, bring your scraps. It was like feast of total harvest. I mean, and, 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 and literally, to today's standards, millions of dollars were put into these feasts for people just to come and enjoy and celebrate and depart. You know, it's interesting because when Jesus came among us, he came as a partier. He came as a party animal. And the religious people around him didn't like it. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, quote-unquote, were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, the same story is in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus, you know, calls Levi, hey, come follow me. And then he goes, what's he doing next? He's hanging out with all the construction guys, all the tax collectors, all the blue-collar folk, all the people who are serving on the outside fringes of the Jewish establishment. And he partied with them. And the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law had the same response. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, they say that in groups, uh, you know, people who tend to, be, tend to be negative and cynical seem the smartest. So if you're ever at a table, in a conference room, look around. It's oftentimes a person who's cynical, negative, and, and, um, and well, I guess that is cynical, yeah. negative, pessimistic, seems the smartest. And it's funny because it's a draw for us, right? We want to seem smart. We want to look like we kind of know what we're doing. So maybe I should be cynical. Maybe I should take the pessimistic view because then I'll look like the smartest guy in the room. It's interesting because Jesus knew that. But he was okay with being the dumb, happy guy. (laughs) He knew all the way that people work. He knew that he wasn't going to look like he had the PhD in the room. He he knew he wasn't going to look like, you know, the expert in the law. And that these guys were going to look down on him because he's a little too happy. He's a little too joyful. But Jesus was just living out that passage. Be joyful always. Right? Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, there's a new model for us in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were feasting and they were festivalizing seven times a year. In the New Testament, what does it talk about? Rejoice in the Lord. How There's a new party level. There's a new rejoicing level. And we can do that. Jesus did that. Even though he went through very difficult circumstances, being joyful doesn't mean you're not being aware of the things that are happening around you or the people that are around you. You can be going through suffering and still be very joyful, still be very hopeful, still have a, a, a bright outlook on the future, even though you're suffering a lot. In fact, oftentimes suffering connects us with joy yeah. at a different level. And there's a, there's a growing up thing that happens in us as we don't avoid suffering, but as we engage with it, then we realize what Jesus was saying is, blessed are those who mourn. Because there's a depth of connection, there's a depth of life, there's a depth of joy and awareness, even in suffering, that makes us more whole as a human being. That's incredible. And so God is not afraid to be a God of celebration. Listen to this in verse 3. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So sure enough, these guys sort of in their systematic approach to religion, they're sort of distanced away from the people, sort of judging the people, looking out over the people and going, nope, wrong, wrong, did that wrong. This is how you can correct that. Jesus is saying, no, that's not, that's not how it is with God at all. God is not like that. And so much of Jesus was trying to help us to re-understand God. God is the God of celebration. God is the God who is with us. God is our Father. Now sometimes because of our experience with Father figures in our life, we don't understand that correctly when we first hear it. But then the responsibility is on us to go back to Jesus and let Him... Uh, help us to understand who our Father in Heaven really is. Mm-hmm. Because that's what he described, his Father. But then he says, it's not just my Father, that's our Father, mm-hmm. who art in Heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. But it all comes from that understanding of who God really is. Yeah. He's our Father, yeah. Yeah. who loves us, who celebrates our changes, mm-hmm. who celebrates our steps. Into, into challenges. Who celebrates those times when, when it's hard, but we still repent. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's really awesome, all those other people, people over there who got it all together. But this one, right, it's kind of like she was talking about being duckworthy. She was talking about the other day, you know, there's two kids on the block who were going swimming, and one of the kids looking over at the other kid going, I hope you win. And Sue going, that's duckworthy. God is always looking for those things. You know, a lot of times we associate this for that big moment when we repent of our sins and we're baptized in Christ. And yeah, that's an incredible moment. But this also applies to those little moments all throughout the day when we make decisions to repent. Party time! Repent. But it's only a little thing. I made the decision to think this rather than this. I made the decision to not believe this lie and I, and I believe what God said instead. Awesome, let's have a party! I mean, look at the next few verses. He says, I tell you, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 10, it says, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive me. Uh, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Such a great description of the world, and we've all been there, right? In this place, in the pigsty, where the pigs are eating better than us. And we long to eat even what the pigs eat. Crazy. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am, starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. God is a God of celebration. And God loves to celebrate the little things. He lost the coin. Seems little to most of us. But God celebrated. We lost the sheep. Well, you have the other 99. But to God, it's like celebrating is found. The son comes back and he's not judging him. Reading in right, right? Maybe we did that a little bit later. But his first impulse was to celebrate. You know, I, I when I was 18 years old, and instead of going to college, I took off in my yellow Jeep, lived out of my car, worked odd jobs. I was an 18 year old kid from Jersey trying to find God. And I would pray to him. I'd write in my journal, God, if you're out there. And it was just such a, an incredible thing to me. As, as I was writing, you know, in my journal, the day after I was baptized in Boulder, that God had heard my prayers. Yeah. Like God was celebrating That's me, right. Mr. Nobody, yeah. from a little town in Jersey. But he saw me. Yeah. He heard me. And it's changed my life. Yeah. And it was kind of amazing to me because I kind of wandered into Boulder, Colorado. And some of you guys know the story. But I met some guys there. We studied the Bible, and three days later, I was baptized in Christ. Mm-hmm. You guys, I'm still here. Yeah. It wasn't the length of the studies. That's right. We didn't even study the series. What? We just studied. Yeah, we just studied the Bible. It wasn't some pre-planned thing. But I was dry bones, and only the Lord can help me. So they showed me the Word, and it's been a struggle. It's been challenging. There's a lot about life that, that doesn't kind of come at you the way that you'd hope or expect. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I'm still here. I'm rising, trying to rise, mm-hmm. trying to rise to the challenge every day. But it's because God is a, is a God of inspiration and celebration. Mm-hmm. And he rejoices yeah. over his son who comes back, even though it's the thousandth time. <laughs> mm-hmm. He rejoices over all of us that way. Yeah. Lastly, turn to Matthew 26. And this is going to be a little bit of a communion thought. It's not that the other thoughts aren't communion thoughts. They're all communion thoughts. But Matthew, verse 26. Matthew chapter 26, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 26. In verse 36. And the point here is that God is a God of connection. Jesus is feeling it. Let's just say that. When Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said, here, said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. They had just celebrated the, the, the Passover dinner. They celebrated the, the putting of the blood on the, on the door frames of the homes and the, mm-hmm. and the spirit passing over those homes because of the blood. Mm-hmm. They, they, they celebrated that. They prayed. It says they went out and they sang a hymn in the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. This was Jesus' time now. And he went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go there, go over there, and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, And I love this because Jesus just being open with his bros. He said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Would you stay here and keep watching? Went a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may his cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, 
but as you will. And then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Can you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Yes, Peter, watch and pray. So you're not falling into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the body, it's weak. And he went, he went away the second time to pray. And he said, my father, if it's possible, if it's not possible, because it's to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You know, it's interesting even here that Jesus wasn't going to be influenced by circumstance. He was going to keep going back to God. Going to keep going back to God until he got it. Mm-hmm. Until he's plugged in. He's like, I know I can do this. I just need to be honest. I just need to get my heart out there. God is going to help me. God is going to walk me through this. God is going to be with me, but I don't feel it yet. Okay, yeah, the guys are sleeping. <sighs> I can't go back. This is a big deal. i got to make it through this. i got to step up. And in verse 45, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. It's game time. We, gosh, we look at this and we go, thank God for Jesus. Stepping up to the challenge. You know, God was helping Jesus to see things differently. And to get motivated. He was helping him connect with some deep motivations that were going to help Jesus through this time. You know, there's four mo- there's four great motivations that we've got to connect with. Typically, if we're going to work through a struggle or work through a challenge, and those four great motivators are one, what? What do you want? Jesus was not afraid to ask people this question: What do you want? Heroes, people who are overcoming, want something, and that's the story. They want that thing so much that they will stop at nothing to get it. What did Jesus want? He wanted to rise to this challenge. He wanted to honor God by his faithfulness. He wanted to love us and serve us in a way that we couldn't serve ourselves. He wanted that so bad. It motivated him forward. Because what he was expressing here was his fleshly wants. He says, Father, I don't want to go through this. But there was a greater what? That he wanted. The second motivator is who? Who's counting on you? And who's in your corner cheering you on? In this case, the guys who were supposed to be in Jesus' corner didn't come through very well, did they? But Jesus saw past that and he realized these guys are really counting on you, though. I need to come through. The world is counting on me. These guys are counting on me. God is counting on me. And that helped him to rise to the occasion. It was a great motivator for him. He was reminded of that in his time of prayer. You know, we know in the book of uh, Hebrews, in chapter 12, it says, for the joy set before him. The what? The who? So it's another great motivator. Why? Why does this matter? Who cares? Who cares whether you overcome this period or not? If you can't answer that why, you're probably not going to get through the, the valley of death. You've got to think through that. Why? Why does this matter? Jesus, again, was, was understanding, remembering why this mattered so much to him. He knew himself and he knew his journey. He knew his mission from the Old Testament, right? He read about himself there. Yeah, he was the suffering servant from Isaiah. 
Yeah, he was the, the, the person hung on the cross in Psalm 22. But he also knew the end of the story. Is why? Well, because the nations could rejoice. Because their Redeemer had come. He, had his, he understood his why. But then he also understood his when. When can be an incredible motivator. What's the deadline? You know, when the deadline is three weeks from now, you're like, ah, whatever, we'll catch up later. <laughs> right? It's trying most of us in college. I don't know about... I don't know about Ryan. He was super diligent in college. But I got a paper yeah. tonight. Sorry. <laughs> You're so but when? When's your deadline? Jesus knew his deadline was coming. And in some ways, I think it strengthened him because he knew he only had a couple of days. He really he knew he only had like a 24-hour period from this time to hang in there. The deadline was coming. And if he could just hang in there that and die on the cross and say, it's finished. I made it. That everything was going to be fine. But there was this deadline that brought the best out of them. Brought the best out of them. You know, God is the God of connection. God connects us to the what, the who, the why, the when. God wants to have a talk with you about why you're here. About who you are. About who's in your corner. About why it's so important that you persevere. And you're persevering maybe because of a Tom Casual situation. Because your parents are still counting on you in your 90s to study the Bible with them because they can't do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's your kids that are counting on you because they're seeing you going through some challenges. And so now more than ever, they're watching. Yeah. How do you get through this? Are you going to be faithful? Right. Mm-hmm. Are you going to call, pull them in and say, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. I need you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's involved in your struggle. But God is trying to connect us. To the, to the why, to the who, he's in our corner. To the, there's, a great, there's a great purpose for you in this life. There's meaning for you out there. He wants to connect us to all that. You know, um, God is so faithful when it comes to connecting us to the things that are important in this life. And certainly most of us, we end up oftentimes, sometimes daily in that third soil. We're worried and upset about many things. You know, the, the challenges and the Desires and temptations of life or become the weeds up around us. So we need to go back to these things. Make that connection. And again, we see Jesus not just talking about it, but modeling it for us over and over and over. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When he was challenged, what did he do? He, he, he pulled from his spirit the words of God in order to, to, to wage war spiritually and win. And he was prepared. He was ready. Because why? Because of connection. Was it because he was so smart? We know now that he was happy and dumb. You know, no, he was smart. Was it because he was so smart intellectually? It wasn't because he was he was he had you know big muscles. Wasn't because of all these things that we often associate with power. It was because of his connection to who? To God. Who was God's best friend? Who was Jesus' best friend? God. Who was his closest companion? God. Who is this dear, loving Father? God. Who knew everything about him? God. Who is going to get him through this challenge? God. It wasn't the guys. As good as our friendships are, and as much as we need one another, it's not the primary relationship for us to empower us and give us the life force we need to get through this life and to rise. I want to give you a little bit of homework. 
And the homework is this. What inspires you about your God? And I want to ask you to write down ten things that inspire you about Him. What do you love about Him? What gets you to, to smile? I know for me, when I was a kid, my dad had the, had the, uh, uh, the nickname in the Army of Arms. And because he used to do a lot of weightlifting in the Army. And he had these really awesome biceps, especially like to a three-year-old. And he would make a, he would make a, a, a muscle for me. And I literally would just start, I would just break out giggling. I thought that was so cool. I would just laugh. My dad, so strong, so cool. And I think that's how, you know, we really got to get to that place with God. That, that we're amazed by him. That he inspires us. That, that we go to him and we rise. Because God is the God of inspiration. And we know him personally. We walk with him. God is a God of celebration. And we know him. He celebrates even the little things. Yeah, the big things too. He celebrates the little repentances and the little adjustments that we make throughout the day. The little, little ways that we lean into life and we trust him. We take him at his word. He celebrates it. Because it's a big deal to him. God is also the God of connection. He connects us with the important things. Not the minutia. Not the stuff that, that, that no one's going to talk about at our funeral but the stuff that they will talk about mm-hmm. at our funeral. When they talk about our what, and our who, and our why, and our when. You know, communion, we take the bread to remind us of Jesus' body. We take the juice to remind us of Jesus' blood, that he literally was a man just like us, who faced all the challenges we face, and yet he rose. You know, this really can, can be, and it should be a time of inspiration, of celebration, connection. Because Jesus is teaching us to name Keita, to Nike, <laughs> to conquer, to prevail, to be victorious. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We need him so much. Father, thank you for wanting to help us to rise. Each and every one of us. God, thank you, thank you for looking past our weaknesses and our sins and all our stuff seeing us with compassion as we come down the road, rehearsing our lines and how we're going to talk to you. Father, thank you so much. You accept us. You celebrate us. You, you seek to inspire us even when we get bones. Father, thank you for this time of communion every week, which helps us to reconnect with the good stuff. Father, help us to be a meaningful time of reflection for us uh, in this communion time together. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name.